Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. AssetMap is a proud sponsor of this podcast. Are you looking for the next big thing in advisor technology? AssetMap is used by thousands of financial advisors to help create more meaningful conversations with clients. See for yourself how AssetMap is leading the next phase of financial advice delivery. Learn more at asset-map.com forward slash Louis for special listeners discount. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left, after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today I'm really excited to have Ricardo Teixeira join us from the BDO offices. Ricardo, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Louis, for the invitation. It's lovely to connect with you again. Yeah, Ricardo, your name pops up quite a lot. You know, we see that last year BDO won the FBI-approved practice and you are building one of the bigger financial planning firms in South Africa. But before we jump into the kind of nuts and bolts of how to run a business, can you give us a little bit of a background of how you ended up in financial services? Absolutely, uh, Louis. Um, I started out my career as a chartered accountant. Um, so I did articles at uh, KPMG many years ago. And, and, and soon after that, I decided to join a commercial sort of uh, career and I moved into financial services uh, soon after finishing articles, not wanting to stay in, in audit and the profession. And it was moving into financial services that really got me on this journey where I am today. And if I can share with you, I knew nothing about financial services at the time. Um, got myself into a product development house. Uh, it was N-Cubed back then. And that then led to a series of roles and, and I suppose exposure that I was very fortunate to be able to um, simulate and be exposed to during my career, which included developing products, uh, it included a, a distribution role, so sales and distribution, and tax structuring, um, and eventually it got me into a business coaching role. Uh, so from Incubed, I moved into Axis, and eventually Axis became Old Mutual. Louis, I think when I when I reflect on my career to date, I think there were really two uh, sort of moments that became sort of inflection points or tipping points in my career, and that was doing the CFP competency exam in 2003. And then eventually also doing a coaching course in 2010. I think both of those were fundamental sort of personal development milestones that led to where I am today. Um, it was it was back in 2013 that I I was actually coaching BDO Wealth Advisors at the time. I was uh, with Old Mutual Wealth, and BDO was one of my clients. And I was sitting across the desk helping Alan Hainan and his team 
um, run a better business as a coach. And it was that in, that interaction that um, uh, gave me the opportunity to be invited to be a non-executive director with Old Mutual, sorry, with BDO Wealth Advisors at the time. And subsequently in 2015, I was invited to be a, a permanent member of staff and executive director. And that's when I joined BDO full-time as the chief operating officer. Ricardo, it's interesting to hear that your your route didn't come through advice, right? So typically someone completing their certified financial planner examinations and going into coaching, at some point in their career, they try their hand at advice. And you know, a lot of people would argue that it's helpful having an advice background, but it can be equally as you know, limiting actually thinking this is the way um, you know, we should be delivering advice. How has it helped you run your business not having experience with with clients face-to-face? So I think a couple of um, thoughts that I can share with you, Louise, that so having the designation and having, and having an, an, uh, I suppose, an intimate understanding for the advisory industry has helped me relate to advisors. But at the same token, with my commercial background, I'm able to, I think, marry the two, I think, quite quite beneficially to, to, to the business world, where I can actually look at and, and add value to operating the business. And so I think that's what I take from, from my role at BDO. It's, it's not just about the advice. The advice is critical. That's what makes, that's who we are. But it's actually operating a business that is efficient, profitable, and it actually gives the clients the right experience. Um, and that's and that's really, I think, where I've been fortunate in terms of being able to play the role of chief operating officer in an advisory business, um, but having the appreciation for advice um, through my my industry experience. Ricardo, I love that quote from Tony Shea, who was the founder and CEO of Zappos, saying, "We're in a service business, right?" And they just happen to sell shoes. And I think that relates <laughs> so much to the advice world, right? We're in a in a service business. Correct. We just happen to deliver advice and you have a full-time role looking after BDO as the chief operating officer. Correct. That's right. And 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 it's it's the client advice or the client experience that we central to everything we do. It's helping clients make good financial choices and decisions. But it's how we organize ourselves, how we position, how we process it so that it is efficient and that the clients will get the best experience from BDO. Uh, is really which 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 is which, which what I enjoy, and I think it can relate to that quote from, uh, from Zephyrus. Yeah, can you give us a little bit of a background on you know what is the size of BDO? How many households do you service? How many sure. offices do you run? Just for someone that might not be familiar to get comfortable with you know, what the business looks like. So, uh, BDO Wealth Advisors is part of BDO South Africa, Louis. Um, BDO South Africa is a professional services firm which, which spans um, South Africa with. Uh, um, I suppose it's, it's 1,500 staff members. But if you just carve that out, BDO Wealth Advisors is a team of 60 people, which is represented across four offices in South Africa. And we, within the team, uh, if I just narrow it down, we have 12 financial planners in the team, uh, um, two associate planners, and currently five assistant financial planners. Uh, we also have two legal advisors and three employee benefit consultants. So I think it gives you a sort of a, 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 I suppose a, a reflection of who we have in the team. Uh, we currently advise about 3,000 families across South Africa and another 8,000 um, members of employer group schemes. We have 100 employer group schemes that we uh, are employee benefit consultants to across South Africa. 
And I think that gives us really a, a great depth into South Africa in terms of being able to help South Africans make good decisions, get to the right solutions um, so we can actually make a positive impact on their lives. Yeah, so it sounds like this is a business that have managed to figure out how to scale advice. And it's something that pops up quite a lot with someone in a medium-sized practice saying, how do I get from you know a smaller team of maybe maybe eight or nine or 10 people to the kind of 60 person team. Like, mm. Did you see part of that tr transition in your career? So I think I've always appreciated the fact that advice is, I suppose central to advice is being professional. And coming from um, a professional background, I, I grew up understanding how, how you deliver professional advice on scale. So to me, the two was, was all as natural. And, but yet through my career, uh, dealing with financial planners in the different roles that I've had, it was very apparent back in the 2000s that the industry was very much a sole proprietor and uh, sort of uh, an individually owned business. And I think with, with the passing of time, uh, with the formalization and the professionalization of our industry in South Africa and globally, I think we've seen the ability to actually use your words, go on scale. I don't think BDO is, is large by a corporate standard. I think a lot of our peers, my peer, uh, friends in the industry call us, uh, refer to us as a corporate, but it's not. I think it's, it's you spot and it's about being having, having the depth within the team to, to get to um, a, broad a broad section of our population. Um, and I think where we, where we I think are excited about it is that we share infrastructure, we share processes, which really allows the professionals to face the clients and not actually worry about running the business. And so your entire sort of mental capacity as a financial planner and, and use of your day is allocated to clients as opposed to uh, the distraction of operating a business. And we know it goes into operating a business. Um, but so that's the benefit of being on scale. You're helping that that focus and clarity really does make a massive difference. Ricardo, globally, we've seen audit practices kind of distance themselves from financial services and, and some of them move towards. What has the role been within BDO and how, how does that sit within the rest of the business? We've been very clear um, and strategically that as BDO Wealth Advisors, our value proposition and our reason for being in existence is to help clients get to the right solutions. And so we've anchored our, our value proposition on an advisory experience. And as a result of that, I think we fit very comfortably within BDO South Africa. We don't manage money. We're not asset managers. We're not discretionary fund managers. We're advisors. And, and that fits perfectly with our peers. And in actual fact, um, I think a, a critical sort of milestone in BDO Wealth's history was in 2015 when we um, uh, applied to be recognized as an FPI-approved professional practice. And why I say that was a, quite a critical milestone, particularly BDO South Africa, is that our, our peers started to recognize us as a professional advisory business and not just a brokerage. And, 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 that, and that's where we are. And that's what we've cemented on, is that we are a professional advisory business. We start with understanding the client, diagnose, and then you implement at the end. Um, and that fits perfectly well with the rest of our professional services in BDO South Africa, whether it's audit, advisory, or tax. Can we stand still a little bit on the FPI-approved practice? I mean, last year you won the award for the best FPI-approved practice, but I want to rewind a little bit on that journey, you know, to become an FPI-approved practice in 2015 that you mentioned, and also what growth had to take place for you to 
you know, enter the process and also, you know, make it round to, uh, to ultimately winning it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for us, I think there was never, I'll be, I'll be frank, is that there was never the uh, intention of winning an award. And in actual fact, in that, back in 2015, that the award did not exist. It was, I think, what appealed to, to myself and Alan as, as the executive directors was really the professionalization of the industry and being associated with the credibility of being a professional practice. That was all the one. And I think in terms of that journey, I think what, what it's taught us and what it exposed us to, Louis, was a number of, I suppose, elements that make up a professional practice. And yes, it's the advisory process and it's around the quality of the client experience, but largely it's around the people that we have within the business. Uh, it's the mentoring of new incumbents into the industry. And it's the financial literacy and pro bono, which are also key elements to being a professional practice. And what we, what we found is by actually putting our hands up and being recognized um, and accredited as a professional practice, it's encouraged us to go on this journey. And what we found is, and when we, if I reflect back, Louis, on 2020 um, and our award that we were given as the approved professional practice in South Africa, I mean, it was really, it was, it was humbling to be recognized as such, but also it made me, uh, me appreciate and Alan appreciate how much we've been doing over the last five years. And so I think what I, what I can share with you is that it's not a one-stop sort of project. <laughs> it's an ongoing evolution and it's ongoing change. Uh, you just keep working at it and just keep refining what you're delivering. Yeah, it's that constant change. And in one of our previous discussions, you also mentioned, you know, it's looking for the small thing that you can improve and, you know, kind exactly. of just grinding away at that and constantly doing that. So, Ricardo, what are the things that you see in your business today and maybe even as an industry that are the pieces that people are missing? Like, what are the things that we should be focusing on that needs improvement where you think the bar is still very low? So, I think the one that immediately comes to mind is mentoring and training professional financial planners in our, in our country. I would like to talk about that, Louis. Um, and, I, and I think the other is, is also just around, um, I suppose, our ability to actually operate professional businesses on a, on a national basis, so using processes, systems, and the like. I think that's, so that's more from an operational point of view. Um, I think those are the two that stand out for me, Louis, right now in terms of professionalizing the industry, although the, Opportunities that we need to be focusing on. There's a couple, I mean, I can tell you, we're also working on uh, what we're working on at the moment at BDO is looking at remuneration models. Uh, we are working on uh, a couple of other things like uh, the sort of uh, differentiated service offering and, and the like. So there's a couple of those. I'm not sure where you'd like to take the conversation, but I'll be led by you, Louis. Yeah, I think let's start with the first one, right? The mentoring. We had Gugu Sudaki on one of the first episodes Tell us how impactful uh, mentors and what, what an impact the mentors have played in her life so that she now becomes a business owner, you know, successfully running her own practice. And so what I'm wondering is like the mentorship role that you take within your business, like, at what point do you get to say, okay, well, you know, as a financial planner, but maybe they're not suited for our business. They're kind of where the mentoring goes so well that someone actually wants to leave, like, how do you handle that as an employer? And what are mm. the what are the discussions that you might have had or could be coming up? And I think that's an important point to to reflect on. Um, and why I'm saying that we've been mentoring CFP graduates or let's say financial planning graduates towards a CFP uh, designation for five years now. This year, so we started in 2016, 
And initially it was exactly as you've said, we wanted to retain the CFP professionals. We quickly realized that it doesn't work like that. It doesn't. And the graduates are young and they're aspirational and they don't want one career for life or don't want one employer for life. And so what we've, and what, what, what I think really resonates with, with us as a business is that it's about creating skills within the country. And so we've actually shifted our, our mentorship program and our, and our perspective on it is that it's not just about the BDO and retaining staff, but it's about, yes, we get the benefit of having the leverage of clever minds, capable individuals working within our business. We learn a lot through them. They learn, we get, give them exposure and they learn. But ultimately, you're seeding the industry in South Africa with some young professionals. And that's been so rewarding. And so we don't retain a lot of our, our trainees. Uh, I can tell you how they run the program, but, but we don't retain them. But we, we, can't, we hopefully try and retain as many as we can. But even then, our associates, they, they leave and they move on to other businesses. So I can tell you we've helped First National Bank, Alexander Forbes, uh, the, the phase ombud, um, you name it, FSCA. We've named, helped a lot of our industry participants um, with, with skilled certified financial planners. That's wonderful. I saw a post yesterday from someone that was on the on the brink of leaving Google and everyone said, oh, this is the best job you've ever had and now you're going to do your own thing. And so what I'm hearing is that you don't want to hold on too tightly to your employees. You want to you know, create the platform where they can flourish, but at some point it's also okay to you know help them go and make an impact in the industry and that's part of your bigger role within South Africa to create jobs and to create skills. Correct, correct. And I think going back to your observation earlier, I mean, that's the one thing we can do differently in our, in our country is really creating um, a, a supplier of professionals. We've got lots of willing uh, graduates within South Africa, um, but our businesses aren't geared for mentoring. And if you think about what you and I were just talking about earlier, the industry started out as sole proprietors. And it was me, my family possibly, running a business. <laughs> but yet, ultimately, at scale, um, is, is, is feasible by bringing people in and through it, it's bringing in, uh, it's men, bringing in uh, young, young talent into the industry. Um, and so I think we, as we shift towards being more, I suppose, structured businesses, be more professional, we naturally will have the opportunity to bring graduates in and train them in the art of financial planning. I think there's a, there's a point which, which really, I think, stands out for me is I came through the, through the industry like not knowing anything about financial services. Um, and that's how it was, is that it was very much seen as a sales environment. There was product and there was a distribution channel. And the industry at that back then was if you were skilled in distributing, if you were skilled in sales, you could become a financial planner. And now we know that that's shifted completely, 360 degrees. We now, our graduates are starting out with a very, very, very strong academic foundation. They've got zero sales skills. Okay. And the only way you're going to learn that is by actually being involved in a professional environment where you can assimilate your sales skills, your ability to get clients into action. And so with that, mentoring is, is critical for us to continue this journey of being professionals. I can't agree with you more, Ricardo. I think Michael Kitts is often talks about how the responsibility of bringing a new client should sit at the top, right? Should sit with your business owners or your senior financial planners because they bring the ideal clients. They bring the right fit. And so now these employees that you've had and the mentees that are getting ready to move on, how do you handle their client base or how does that fit into 
your business structure because oftentimes people don't want to let employees go because they're afraid that the clients will follow, right? They'll mm. move their book of clients like the industry loves talking about. So how do you approach that? It goes back to your client experience and the way you've structured your advisory. Like, I guess it's process, but it is. It's largely how does a client experience BDO? And, and yes, there will always be a key relationship holder. And we, and we, and we thrive on that. In actual fact, that's what we want. We want our clients to be connected to an Alan or a Desiree or, or a Murray. But at the end of the day, there is that connection to the business. And so it's, it's having the depth within the team, with having the depth in the business that a client or a family sees that actually they've got a financial planner, but they're backed by a lot more than just one individual. And so when, when an individual leaves, it doesn't take the relationship with. The relationship is transferable. Obviously, it depends on who's leaving and, and how they're leaving. <laughs> um, but, but largely, if I look at the, if I just reflect on the mentoring program, um, initially, we had pushback from our financial planning team. So actually, clients are getting used to uh, Zanele, and now she leaves, and now we've got Tumi. I was like, but that's okay, because ultimately, the client is seeing you as the relationship holder. It's just another touch point within the business. And that's exactly how it's panned out, Louis, is that clients don't, aren't attached to one individual. And even when, when a financial planner, trans, what we call graduates a client from one from their portfolio to another financial planner, it's a process of time. And that graduation process, clients are comfortable with it if you deal with it correctly. And so the same applies to, to staff attrition or uh, turnover. It's just how you've dealt with a client relationship from the word go, I think that will anchor how they experience it. I love how you've turned these challenges into such positive things, right? You get to graduate, to move to to someone else. It's no longer, oh, your financial plan has left and, and, and you're an orphan client, right? You'll be graduated. <laughs> but it sounds like the foundations within your business is really strong. And I'd love, you started talking about the kind of remuneration policies. I'd love for us to Talk a little bit about what the options are in terms of remunerating your staff because the industry today is still the kind of, you know, eat what you kill. The person bringing in the sales gets to take the bulk of the money home. And what we've seen in, in countries like America is that the distribution between the rest of the team is more normal, right? It's a fair share between the income. Tell us a little bit about how you see it and, and what you've been doing in the business. Mm -hmm. I'll start off, uh, Louis, just with the proviso and I suppose the disclaimer is that we haven't got it right yet. <laughs> um, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm being honest in the sense that we keep evolving our approach and a, and a policy to getting that remuneration model correct. But I do think, having said that, we've made huge strides um, in, in our history and the way we've worked. So currently, our philosophy around remuneration for financial planners, and again, when we talk financial planners, it's people lead portfolio, um, relationship holders. Um, it's really, a, it's a principle around sharing profits within the client portfolio. And so very, we've taken the lead from the audit partnership and the principles there, that it's looking at a portfolio of clients and participating based on the profitability of that portfolio of clients. And so our principle, that, and well, that's a principle, but then what underpins it is that everyone is on a fixed salary um, as well as a variable element to their earnings. And the, the fixed element is really referenced 
to the profitability of their portfolio. And there's thresholds based on margin. If portfolios are profitable, it then scales up your, your participation, their profitability. And if the, profit, if, the, if the portfolio is not profitable, taking into account the cost of actually doing business, then there's a negotiated fixed salary that's anchored. And I we found that that has really, I think, aligned the REM with the sort of the, the business's intention of doing right for clients. That we don't bring in targets. There's no incentives around sort of production or metrics around new clients or assets, policies, whatever it may be. It's around advice and charging fees for that advice. And that charging of fees results in a revenue line, which then draws talks to profitability. And so we found that we're getting better and better at measuring that. And I can, I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the changes we've made, which has helped us measure profitability. And then the, just flowing that forward, Louis, or following that, that thought process is then the variable incentive is linked again to um, a metric of profitability, which we call net profits. And it really then becomes a, a, a share of the, the growth in the fees year on year. Um, and so it's a lovely a, a alignment, we feel, in terms of actually that upside, sharing as a business grows, the, the portfolio holder would be rewarded for it. Um, and that thing gets combined with a fixed salary and you have a total earnings in the package. And what we found, Louis, is that um, if, you, if you get the numbers right, equity is not an issue, particularly in a, in a business of our size, in that we are largely owned by the audit practice of BDO South Africa. Um, and, and, and the financial planners don't have equity in the business, but yet the remuneration structured correctly. And that's why I said we have got it wrong and we, we keep refining it. It gets better and better that you, it's actually not about the equity. It's about that partnership model on, on revenue and profitability. Yeah. I love the fact that you're cultivating that ownership mindset without necessarily having shares in the business. You, you get to manage the profitability of your client portfolio and that it's not just top line it's not just sales and you know yeah. selling more taking on more clients it's also about looking at the cost aspect of running a business which can get quite like it can be a really big chunk of the income and i'd love for us to maybe talk a little bit through that when we talk about profitability what are the performance measures that you keep a close eye on to say hey this business is going into maybe there's some some trouble heading our way when we look at these figures or is it really just, you know, you look at everything and, and it starts jumping out at you? Louis, it's immediately that my response would be it's fee per client. And so a very, very key metric, which we, we currently hold very dear at BDO in our, in our business discussions. And again, I represent uh, as, as the, the commercial sort of view of the business um, whereas Alan, as the managing director, represents the advisory aspect of the business, and the two of us sort of dovetail very well. So the conversations I have with the financial planners is around their business. And the one metric that has to come out in our dashboard is what's your fee per client? Um, and that talks to a lot about in terms of the profile of the client. Also, how are we raising fees and how are you pricing your advice relative to the client? So that is one that definitely stands out. Um, and there's a couple of others. I think the uh, frequency of client contact in terms of reviews is another metric for us, um, understanding that. Um, and then a third metric is, again, uh, measuring our, um, our, our, our insight into estate planning for clients. 
and it becomes a, we find it quite a powerful metric in that it's not just talking about transactions, but it's talking about the family holistically. And so are we able to quantify that we have done complete estate planning for a family? And again, it's not every cl- every family would get that. There's a lot of segmentation and there's differentiated services that would come through. Those are the kind of metrics that we talk about when we, when we look at a management dashboard for our financial planners. Ricardo, the estate planning one is not often heard of to look at your profitability and to say, oh, well, here's an estate planning component. How did that come about and what are the, what are the actual things that you look at within that metric? What, what drove us um, to, to put that on the, on the dashboard, Louis, was simply the fact that we wanted to recognize that a certain profile of clients, our key clients, we needed to be relevant to them holistically. And estate planning and having their, their will correctly drafted, having their structures in terms of how their wealth is owned and how it will pass on from generation to generation is critical. Um, and it, what it led us to also, I think, appreciate is the fact that actually our fee as professional advisors is not just for the investments, not just for that element of what is typically seen as the, the, the advice process, but it's actually being a guide to help a client in all aspects of their life. Um, and so that I think that has shifted our conversation quite, 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 I suppose, appropriately uh, to look at families. And again, it's not every family because we've got a wide range of clients, of 3,000 families, but, but it's looking at the right clients to have that holistic conversation and bringing it, that back to our fee-for-service, making sure that there's value created um, through, through BDO's advice. Yeah, it's wonderful how you know, you, you're thinking about actually the longevity of your business through looking at the figures of you know, talking about estate planning and, and retention of these assets in the longer term, not just the kind of short term, you know, what is the income that we're generating from these clients. Sorry, if I may interrupt. Uh, it, it also then what we found indirectly creates the opportunity to connect with the next generation, connect with the heirs, because you are, you, you're interested and you're, and you're part of that process. Um, and that talks to what you've said now about long-term sort of longevity of the client relationship. Yeah, we see these statistics of you know, close to 80% of widows would choose a new financial planner after their partner passes away. And, and therefore, these things are so important to track. And we don't have to wake up one day and figure out oh, most of our clients have now passed away and we don't have a relationship with you know, maybe the spouse or the children. Or It was just that isolated piece. Ricardo, you service quite a large number of households, but I'm wondering what are the things that might have surprised you in terms of the issues that your clients are having? What are the things that they're struggling with at the moment? If I reflect on uh, 2020, which was sort of the, the heart of our lockdown and the, and the global pandemic, I think what was, was, was so refreshing, Louis, is that what our clients generally struggled with was just emotional dealing with, with the environment around them. And it wasn't around money necessarily. And it wasn't necessarily around sort of taxes uh, or estate planning. It was just around life. And I think that is exactly where I think the industry is at as financial planners, is that it's about how do we marry living or how do you marry life to the money that you've got. And so generally, if I look at our, our, our clients, uh, and our clients are a range. I mean, we've got clients who are business owners, we've got professionals, we have executives, retirees, and wealth accumulators. Okay, so we span a very wide sort of, sort of uh, population of South Africa. But generally, the, the, the challenge is all around sort of how do I make sure that I'm, I'm doing the right things in my life? Whether I'm a wealth accumulator trying to decide to buy a car 
or whether I'm a business owner looking at exiting my business. It's all around that family connection or that conversation with their family and their life. Yeah, Susan Bradley, the founder of Sudden Money Institute, always says that when life changes, money changes, and when money mm. changes, life changes. And these two are not two separate things, kind of intertwined and, and you know, we can have one discussion. Are you upskilling your advisors to have these conversations? And if so, you know, what are the things that, that they're working on within the business? Within our advisory team, if I just focus on the financial planners, like I said, we have 12 across South Africa, uh, lead financial planners. Each person has control over their own personal development. So as a business, we, we're very clear. We all share a common philosophy and approach underpins how BDO uh, talks about money and what's, how, we, how we deliver financial planning. But yet in terms of the individual skills, Louis, um, it's incumbent on each professional in the team to upskill themselves with that. Um, and it's not necessarily about, um, so it's not about being dictating. So everyone's got to be a coach and everyone's got to go on results coaching 101. It's about actually you following your passion and following what sits best with you. So as a result, we've got quite a wide range of skills within the business and not there's not a cookie cutter approach. And I think I love that um, because as, as a large financial planning business, uh, having 12 financial planners, it's not about having everyone follow the same script, everyone follow the same dance. It's, it's actually doing what's right for the clients. We've got a philosophy, but ultimately each person must do what's right and they feel comfortable with that. Yeah, talk to that diversity and inclusion, right? Bringing different ways of doing things. If everyone follows a coaching way, yet it might be beneficial to your client conversations, then you'll be running a coaching practice and not necessarily yeah. a financial Correct. But, but also what it allows us to do, Louis, is, is to map up and sorry, match up clients to the correct profile of the family that will help them in terms of what they need. And so not every client is going to need a deep conversation around the meaning of life. And so we've got within the team the ability to map and match clients to the right financial planner um, that would suit them best. Can you tell us a bit more how that's done? So, so look, a lot of our, our client growth um, is done through referrals, as with most financial planning businesses. Um, and in that instance, the financial planner would, would pick up that referral directly. Um, there are instances where financial planners feel they're not well equipped to take on the referral and they voluntarily would talk to a colleague um, and and pass on a client relationship. It happens often so within an, within an office where one financial planner would say, well, I feel I think you might be better suited. That's the one way. The other way is we do we do have quite quite a lot of direct inquiries into into BDO and that gets uh, received through our, our website and through other platforms. And that allows um, the practice management team to then assess profile, who's the individual, what are their needs, um, do a quick sort of discovery phone call, and then, then allocate it out to the correct office and to, to the correct financial planner, which we believe would best be suited to their client. So it's very much a hands-on approach to, to allocating clients. And that talks back to your remuneration structure, whereas if you were responsible for you know taking home the bulk of the income financial advisors tend to hold on to those clients and not be willing to you know pass them on to colleagues and, and refer mm. them to someone that might be better suited instead mm. we uh, as an industry used to hoard clients and you know yeah. them how do you measure the capacity of your advisors like is there is there a limit that advisors can have in terms of the clients that they service and complexity and what are the things that go into that thinking 
So uh, the, the initial metric is, again, the number of clients. So I think we found time and time again that that's one of the better sort of indicators of, I suppose, your level of, of, of effort that you need to put in and availability of time. We haven't got a magic number. Um, but if I had to put a, a pin in it, I'd say it's somewhere in the region of about 250 clients um, is that is that ideal number. We have um, senior planners with 300 families, but again, if you look, if you when you understand it, there's a tail of clients which are not highly demanding, and so it, it's very possible. We've got on the flip side uh, financial planners who have less than that, and so what we have what we found a lot of success in is is the ability to again graduate clients from one financial plan to another over a process of time so that you are able to, um, I suppose, open up capacity and correctly share the responsibility of looking after clients across the, 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 the team as opposed to just under one financial planner. Yeah, so it's a very systematized process that you are building your business on. And when you think about the future of your practice and BDO, you know, where are the places that that you do your research and your thinking and, and what influences your thinking, Ricardo, at the moment? <laughs> I think like most of us, Louis, and I, I take it, I'm, I'm sure you similar, is just reading widely um, and, being, uh, and being open to a lot of sources of, of information. And so I think there's a lot of um, very, I think, well-regarded sort of thought leaders in our, in, in our industry globally. Um, Carl Richards comes to mind. I just love his, his writings, uh, Mitch Anthony. Um, but again, Michael Kitkus, I think through his blog, gives a great sort of uh, snapshot of a number of of um, great minds in financial planning across the world. And so for me, Lou, it's just about reading and and listening, I guess, to 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 thought leaders in our industry and just being exposed to that. It's wonderful to see how you know global community has come so close, where we can pick from Australia and from America and from the UK and say, "Hey, mm. here's the best people, and let's learn from them and let's you know taste that within our within our practice and see how that pans out." Yeah. If again, you had a magic, that, yeah, sorry, go for it. again with that, Louis. Just on, on, on in terms of um, I suppose taking inspiration, it's great to look into our industry, but I think it's also important for us as professionals to look at other sources of inspiration that are not financial planning orientated. Um, and so if you look at law practices or you look at uh, accounting or, or engineering pra uh, practices, then understanding how do they operate as professional services? Because they are. And so financial planning is not that dissimilar. I mean, our trade wise, well, the art of what we're doing is, is completely unique to a lawyer or an accountant. But I think in terms of actually taking a cue for how they operate as professionals, I think is also one another source which we mustn't underestimate. Um, and I've also found, I think, value from that. You've mentioned a couple of times the art of financial planning, and that struck me that it's, it actually can be such a creative process. It's <laughs> not just about the technical. And someone that's a chartered accountant by trade, I, I find it quite interesting that you, you mentioned the art. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think that I use that word purposefully because I've, I've realized in my career that you need to, you need to learn skill and the art of financial planning and i'll say the art because um you're continually learning every client is unique um no textbook's going to prep you for being able to deal with every client scenario and so there is this ability to keep learning through i suppose experience and i love to use the word art because it's not a science there's an element of it which is strongly technically based and so let's say scientific 
but a lot of it is an art. And I see it with our young financial planners who, are, who migrate from assistant financial planners to associates and how they sit by, side by side with a CFP professional and they are assimilating the art of engaging with the client. Um, and so I often refer to that and it does become an anchor. Yeah. I love that, these artists in training. If you could give them some advice before they join your practice or you know potential employees, what would you like to see these potential employees work on in terms of skills of improving improving that art piece specifically? Is there anything that comes to mind? Um, I think the obvious one is people skills. And people skills is quite broad, but it's the ability to relate to people. Um, and I think we use the word empathy, but it's you know, being able to connect and, and listen. And through that listening, I suppose, uh, able to reflect back and, and how you can actually advise or help a client. That'd be the one. I think the other skill which we mustn't underestimate, Louis, is the ability to get a client into action. And said another way, that's our sales skills. And as professionals, regardless of who you are and which profession you're at, there is the need to get a client to make a decision. And, and that we must not underestimate. And we, and why I mention it is that I do see a lot of the financial planners, the junior financial planners, um, particularly the associates who want to make that transition to be a financial planner, struggle with it because they've never been exposed to it. And they have never, I suppose, assimilated that, that ability to put a bit of pressure to get someone to make a decision. You know, and I think that is, again, a, a skill that, that we must not underestimate in our, in our, in our industry. I love how you phrased that. You know, to help someone take action could actually be seen as a sales skill. And, and some might argue that, you know, it is a process that you take someone through uh, that process of change to get them to a point where they actually are ready to change. And, you know, how do you mm. balance, how do you balance the sales with actually serving the customer and, you know, allowing the client to determine their own pace? Mm. Well, it's about getting the, getting the, uh, getting the family or the client to a point where they, they acknowledge what they need. And that's often, that, that's relatively, I think, easy through, through in terms of the process of reflecting back and um, modeling a cash flow model, let's say, to a family and allowing them to identify these are the gaps and this is what I need to take as action. But what we often find is that if, it, if you leave it there, it's going to stop there. And I look at myself as a client of BDO, my wife and I, if our, my financial planner and our BDO financial planner doesn't get us into action, it doesn't get anywhere. I know I've got to do it. And I'm a CFP professional. My wife's a professional. But we just don't do it. And I think we're similar to, to most human beings. And so there is that need. And I think we, we, we pin it as one of the values as a financial planner. One of the values you bring is to get a client into action, particularly if it's what the client wants is how do you help them make the transition to get to, to do the to do the work? Yeah, if all we needed was knowledge, we'd all be millionaires with six packs. <laughs> and you're saying that <laughs> the, the role of the advisor is also to take action and to um, professionally be professionally persistent. Uh, someone once said that, and, and that really resonated with me to uh, to follow up and and help someone actually get closer to their dreams, right? Because this can be a very big role that we play in someone's life. Absolutely, that's right. Yeah. And 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 if it's not, if you don't if you don't get into action, no matter how good and how well that plan is crafted, no matter how eloquent the goals are set out or the actions are described, it will just stay there, and that family will never live their dreams as they've intended. And so you've got to marry that. Up. 
Ricardo, is there any kind of client stories that might stand out in your mind in terms of someone's experience with a financial advisor, maybe in BDO or outside of the industry that really stands out for you? Oh, that's an interesting question, Louis. <laughs> Asking the chief operating officer in terms of client stories. Uh, I think there's, I can ref, what I can reflect on, Louis, is that we, we, we often talk around the stories of financial planning within BDO. Um, and why we do that is that, um, I suppose, one, it's one way of sharing knowledge within the team. So you get to understand sort of client experiences. Um, but again, it also makes us appreciate the value of the advice is that it's, it's not about spreadsheets and numbers and the models. It's actually how that, I suppose, that advice translates into a, a client's experience. Um, and so, yeah, we do share a lot of stories around that. Um, I can't think of one particular story that stands out for me immediately right now. Um, but what does stand out is the, I suppose, when, when you have families turn around and say, thank you, that's been meaningful. Um, and for whatever reason, whether it's been uh, a particularly difficult sort of situation that we need to solve uh, for that, that family, um, uh, whether we're life challenges or it is one that just actually you were there as my signing board. Uh, and those are, are greater. So we hear about those. Um, I think one story that I can share with you, which is top of mind, um, was a, a new client that approached us earlier this year and um, quite a wealthy family. And through the, through the sort of onboarding and sort of going through particularly the estate planning, it became evident that there was um, a large investment in Bitcoin. And, and, and when we started unpacking it, um, he had this, the, the, the father admitted that he had actually lost quite a significant amount of money to Bitcoiner uh, through a fraud. Um, and it's those kind of experiences. And what stood out for that story was actually the fact that he approached us to, for advice, to say, help. It was something at the back of his mind that, that had gone wrong, which happened to be a fraud. Um, but he approached us and said, please help put my affairs in order. Um, and I think that is really where we want to be as financial planners. Not at the tail end where someone's made a bad mistake, but ideally you want to help them either correct it or go forward with, with good advice. Um, so that's something that, that did stand out recently um, from a client experience. That's wonderful to hear that as your role in terms of looking after the business and the operations, you are still so involved and know what's going on with clients and these client stories and that you know the, the figures are important. We can't neglect that. But it's probably not the most important piece, you know, like you mentioned, the client um, experience and you know, actually just knowing that they'll be okay uh, is really what, uh, what stands out for me from that. Absolutely, exactly. And, and I think, it's, it's, I think what, we, what we enjoy across the business, myself included, is those opportunities to, to, to spend time with our clients, um, uh, pandemic uh, included. I mean, we do a lot of virtual get-togethers with, with clients. Um, on small groupings as well as large groupings, but it's about just having conversations. And it's there where you get to hear the stories of what's actually happening in their lives. Yeah, yeah Ricardo, and thank you so much for sharing your story, a BDO story, um, with other financial planners and financial planners in training listening to you today. Uh, I want to wish you a wonderful success in what's coming next for BDO and also congratulate you on you know getting getting to this. There's a lot of people that look up to you and thank you for making a positive evolution in financial planning. Thank you, Louis. Thank you for the opportunity to, I think, reflect on what, what we're doing. Um, and, I, and I think at the end of the day, I think what, what's, what's valuable about, I suppose, this platform and, and, and my industry, it's about sharing uh, and it's about talking what we are doing. 
Um, and I think what, what's so so evident is that there's just not there's no rule book, there's no guidebook to practicing financial planning or running a business of financial planning. And so these kind of conversations are valuable just to I think glean new ways, new thoughts of, of how we do it. Uh, but ultimately, I think having said that there's no rule book, it's all about uh, experimentation, cautious experimentation, and trying it. Not, we might not get it right, but keep keep moving forward but by experimenting. With that art of financial planning that just comes back and comes back. Um, Ricardo, where can people reach you best if they want to get hold of you? Our website um, is www.bdowealth.co.za and all, our, all, my, all my contact details and the company's contact details are on our website. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Excellent. Lovely speaking to you. Bye-bye.